So may I call you Randy? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, it sounds fine. Randy's All right. good. All right. Well, uh, greetings and welcome back, everybody, to Words, Images, and Worlds. Glad to be talking with comics creator Randy Emberlin on this episode. Randy, thanks for jumping in. Thank you for the artwork that's currently existing behind you underneath well, Godzilla's I, I actually, gaze. I did bring it along. I mean, it's like we can talk about it later, but that's... Oh, yeah. uh, that's the famous, you know, uh, 30th anniversary print from 365 of Amazing uh, Spider-Man. And I have a picture with Stan Lee, you know, where we're holding it 30 mm -hmm. years ago. And then a picture like two years before he passed away. So it's kind of this connecting piece, you know, for me. It's, yeah. You know, that was a big part of, you know, Sp Carnage, Spider-Man and Venom. They were big deals. So and I've got a couple other pieces we can talk about later, but. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember that issue well and remember that uh, entire arc and um, just what a big deal Venom and Carnage were uh, in the world of Spider-Man. It was kind of this cool new turn in that world uh, as a reader. Yeah, it changed things. It definitely did. I mean, yeah. not just sales, but it was a different, you know, like you said, it was before that it was kind of villain, villain, villain. And there were villains we'd seen before and they kept reappearing and and sometimes there were a couple of you know arcs were like short, which I like. I, I like being able to do lots of different stories with different villains. And I like David Michelini. I think he's a great Spider-Man writer. Uh, but that whole Carnage, you know, Venom thing, it was it became its own entity. You know, it's like evolved into this thing. You know, yeah, so. at, as Carnage would. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so amazing is. Uh... I think the title you spent the most time on for Spider-Man. Yeah, it's um, about five years or so. Yeah. Yeah. You you did some with Astonishing. Actually, well. no, it was um, Web of Spider-Man. Oh, so, Web, Web. Okay. Yeah. It, actually, I had a year with Eric Larson. So that was like 339 or thereabouts, the end of 88 or end of 89. And then we did up through 350. And that was like a, you know, double size issue with Dr. Doom. That was, that, it's one of my favorite ones. I think it's really fun. Yeah, and then yeah. Bagley came. And so Bagley was probably about, uh, you know, it was a 65 issue run. So that's over five years. And then they moved me over to Webb with Stephen Butler. And in fact, I've got, here's a Stephen Butler piece just because that was during the the Clone Saga. Oh, yes, know, yes. Scarlet Spider. So the Scarlet Spider was something I actually got to be involved in. And I guess one of those issues, it's the first appearance of his costume was one I worked on there as well as, you know, Carnage. So it's, it was pretty cool. Here's the, also the rejected cover to the first appearance of Carnage, 361. Oh, so you know, we know yeah. everybody's seen the one, you know, where they're wrapped in tentacles and, you know, Carnage is below Spider-Man. But this one we did first, and then I kept it and put Carnage on it, and I thought it would be a nice memento. Well, it turned out it was stolen from the, the offices at Marvel and was, you know, circulating for like 25 years or more, ah. closer to 30. I think it auctioned two years ago in the summer at Heritage for like $66,000. Wow. Yeah. So I had this and made a print out of it because I thought, well, I should, you know, since I don't have it, I, I at least had a copy of it and uh -huh. people could see it. And then Marvel came looking for it. Um, they came looking for a print. I don't know, 2019, because they wanted to turn it into a, a Marvel hidden gem and print it as like one in a hundred that appears in boxes of what they, whatever they were doing with it. And uh, they were going to pay me for it. And I said, no, just send swag 
and comic books for our camps because we did those comic book art camps for 13 years. And, yeah. and Marvel was one of the last companies to get on board. I mean, DC and Archie and Dark Horse were already, you know, on board for years. And it's so weird. My company was the last one. It's like, but at least it happened. You know, we got it to happen and it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned before we hit record, um, you come from a family of educators, it sounds yeah. like. Um, and so you have worked with, with students in the space of comics camps. Uh, how, how did that work come to be? Well, you know, it, it started even before the camps with, um, I had done, I wanted to do some teaching because I knew that comics were really soft. You know, they really, after the fall of Marvel and their chapter 11 bankruptcy in the nineties, mm -hmm. uh, I went to dark horse because I helped actually Mike Richardson uh, with Chris Warner and Ron Randall. We helped start launch dark horse where we did our own characters and did those first four episodes or issues of dark horse presents. So I did mind walk and that was, yeah. you know, it, saving grace was, Hey, I have a company I can go to because Marvel's tanking. So, you know, I went and I did ghost over there with Yvonne race, or it looks like Ivan rice, but the guy who did the green lantern stuff, he's doing all this Batman stuff for DC. He is amazing. Brazilian artist, probably the greatest artist I've ever worked with. And I got to do three years on a female book ghost with him. So that was after Marvel, I went there and, and then I realized, you know, I still needed something else. So I started um, teaching uh, through young audiences, which is here in uh, Southwest Washington and Oregon. And uh, you have to go in and, you know, sort of audition and, and come up with a spiel. And so I had a, a basically it was an assembly program where I drew for kids and talked about storytelling and, you know, sequential art and uh, what the process of how a comic book is made. And I had lots of original art samples, which I probably should never have done. You know, you think about it, they're safe, but they're worth a fortune. Like some of those pages are $10,000 pages now. And it's like, but I just had them out there, had them in bags, you know, whatever. But uh, I did some of that. And then I did schools. Um, I actually taught at an art store that was just a few blocks away and they let me teach classes. So I got my curriculum together and then I was able to go into the schools and do um, enrichment programs like after school art. So I did animation and uh, comic book, cre uh, you know, character construction. So we would do, you know, a character each session. And then we would actually do some zoetrope animation because I was an animator for 10 years before I even got into comics and uh, we did 50 commercials. So I'd had a lot of experience doing that kind of stuff. But teaching, yeah, my dad was a principal. My wife uh, was an elementary school teacher and my uncle was a high school teacher and, you know, a lot of teachers. And uh, so I, it wasn't difficult for me to kind of make that. And I had private students, too. I did teach a lot of private students. So that and then ultimately, like we we're talking about the comic book art camp was the result of my wife going, well, why don't you, you know, camps are great. So why don't we do three? You know, first of all, let's, let's just do a week and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And you do the camp that you would have wanted when you were a kid because mm -hmm. there was nothing, you know. I took some classes at the art museum here in Portland and they were, you know, kind of uh, dull. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, let's try some, you know, uh, colored you know, pencils or we're going to try some chalk or we're going to do some charcoal or whatever. And uh, it was very much still kind of traditional art, not creative comic book uh, commercial art, which is what I really wanted. But, um, you know, that's all you get. So anyway, so I did. I put together a camp with her help. And uh, and I had my students, a lot of them were high school or college, that had been really great students. And so we employed them 
as assistant teachers. And so I had at least three or four usually uh, hand, like my eyes and hands out there and, you know, amongst the class of maybe 32 kids, 35 kids, and we do mornings and afternoons. And anyway, it was a great, it was really successful and it was really fun. Uh, we stopped doing it when COVID hit just because it wasn't possible. And then after a couple of years of that, we realized that well, we're not going back to that. Uh, all of our assistant teachers have gotten married or have jobs now and, and we're getting older. So we all retired and, and stopped teaching. But that was 13 years of really, really some fantastic, you know, I mean, they did comic book covers and they learned characters twice a day and they did sequential, uh, at least a one page comic strip by the end and a, and a, a like sound effect poster and, you know, a lot of information. And we watched a lot of really good animation too at the breaks. And there was tons of swag. I mean, tons. <laughs> it's like every, you know, posters and buttons and bookmarkers and some toys in some cases. And we had grand prizes that were donated by some of the companies at the end. And everybody had a chance to, you know, put their name in the, the bucket and all that kind of stuff. So it was really a lot of fun. It was, it was probably one of the better things I got to be involved in. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I love the possibilities of comics and drawing and creating for just teaching literacy in the language arts. So uh, very much speaking my language here. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It helped me to learn to read. And I think we talked about that before, but that's, I was reading pretty, you know, pretty well at age four, I was reading comic books and, yeah. you know, there was a lot of big, you know, big words and language. I mean, I'm sure I struggled, but, you know, I, I bothered my grandmother and my mother all the time. And they're the ones who bought the comics. And so by the time I hit first grade, man, I was reading at about fifth grade level or sixth grade level. And, and oh, yeah. I met Chris Warner, who's like, you know, the guy that got me into Marvel, really. I mean, he was he had, you know, been here and working with me at a book company, educational book company. And he never gave up. He had his portfolio and his sketchbooks and kept trying at San Diego. And, and finally he had some uh, of the professionals there, an editor and some uh, artists look at his work and said, you're good enough. If you uh, save your money and come stay in New York for three months and come into the office, you'll have regular work. And he did, he moved, uh, lived with a friend in New Jersey and, once he was in, I ultimately, I was doing animation for TV commercials and it was just struggling, you know, it's just so hard unless you're in LA or something. So I sent work through him so that his editor, Carl Potts became my editor ultimately. But yeah, I, yeah. it was one of those emergencies where it's like, they go, here's okay, Randy, it looks good. You know, can you do this seven pages in a week? And we have to get it. We can't miss the printing deadline. And I said, okay. sure. And then when the box came, there was 11 pages in it instead of seven. And it was like, <laughs> like but I stayed up, you know, night after night. And, you know, I think all night, the last night and, uh, and I got it done and, and I got my letter, which I framed, you know, first job in comics. Right. He goes, you've got the regular gig on alien Legion. So yes, yeah. I got the alien Le and, and Chris was penciling. So it was great because we had good communication and, and uh, I learned a lot from him because he'd studied with Terry Austin for inking and stuff and um, it was just it was and you know carl potts is a great editor because he's a he's an artist you know he mm -hmm. started out and worked for neil adams and stuff at that studio that a lot of those guys worked at uh what was it what's the name of that uh, um continuity i think that's the name of continuity. a lot of people you know joe rubenstein all these other people that worked there and uh here he's an editor and he's an artist so he discovered some pretty great people. I mean, Jim Lee's one of them, you know, yeah. and uh, and Mike Mignola is another one. 
And I mean, just kind of go down the list, you know, right. and even, you know, lesser people like myself, but, you know, I had a great career and, and it's because of Carl. So, I mean, he got me in and I was pretty loyal to him for several years. And then I, you know, when I got the Spider-Man job, it was like, sorry, Carl, I, I got to go. <laughs> you know, this is amazing Spider-Man, you know? Yes. Yeah. There, there are certain things that uh, you have to do creatively when you have the yeah. opportunity. Yeah. But he was, he was cool about it. And I see him at, you know, comic cons and it's always fun to talk with Carl and the other guys. There's a bunch of other editors and writers. It's fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always like to ask about those positive collaborations, positive experiences and folks that uh, you continue to be in touch with and, and things of that nature. Yeah. And there's, there's a number, you know, and there's people that I met after comics. I mean, you know, literally here years later, I never had met Alex Saviak. The, the guy that did, uh, I guess it was Webb before we took, kicked him off. And I, and I took over Webb with Stephen Butler, right? And, and uh, I finally met him at one of the shows. And he's just a super nice guy and a musician as well. I'm a musician too. Oh, I didn't so know that. We, so we both hit it off and we have a lot of interesting, similar interests. And um, anyway, it was it's fun to meet people that you realize were working at the same time you were working, but you didn't know him, you know, because I lived yeah. in Oregon and he lived in Florida or New York or whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Dark Horse and I had in my notes to make sure to mention Alien Legion uh, and also was going to mention Ghost. Um, Dark Horse was just such a cool just approach to comics because uh, for readers like me that got in with Marvel and DC uh, about the same time, Dark Horse kind of happened upon the scene when I started reading. And so to, yeah, to get um, such an interesting sort of still comics, but a different take on comics uh, is a really kind of a cool thing to branch out into as a reader. So I imagine that was really rewarding for you creatively as well. It was, I, I wish I had done more with them because I had every opportunity. I mean, you know, Mike Richardson is a friend and he's somebody that I met at the very beginning. I mean, he had, was it four comic book stores, which were called Pegasus Books, and, mm -hmm. and they eventually became things from another world. But he had a restaurant, too, in Oregon City. And so it was like, he had the restaurant and the books and he came to us and I had just gotten a job at Marvel. Chris and I were working on both Alien Legion and Doctor Strange. Uh, we picked that one up and that was really cool that because you know from childhood that was just a great book you know we love steve ditko and so how does it that i, I got to work on doctor strange and spider-man and i love steve Ditko's stuff you know and so did carl carl potts yeah. is a ditko guy so but um but yeah knowing uh, mike richardson and then he comes to us and he goes well i'm going to start a comic book company and do you guys want to do your own characters for the first few issues and you know you'll have these this number of pages and we'll split it up and and of course it was concrete, which Paul Chadwick won all kinds of awards for. Oh, that was yeah. one of them. And then, uh, you know, Trekker, which Ron Randall is doing now and he's doing very successfully as Kickstarters. I don't know how many he's done, but he's <laughs> done a bunch of them and his collections. Now he has collections of Trekker and it supports him. You know, I mean, he's doing Trekker. It's great. And uh, let's see who else. It was me doing Mindwalk, which I, like I said, I had opportunities, never did that much with it. I did a few recurring you know when they asked me to i'd do some episodes or something you know but um i just never i wanted to launch another book and i never called blazer and i never got i canceled the first couple of issues and wrote you know like an arc 
but never it was comics were in trouble you know by then so it was kind of <laughs> to do but uh but yeah it, helping with dark horse was really cool we had no idea that it was gonna i mean he was very generous with us you know uh, kind of sharing some royalties or incentives with us at the beginning but if you could have it was private you know it was a private company so if you could have been a stockholder or something you could have made out on the deal because they were pretty smart mike made it through a lot of tough times and uh, now i guess he sold the company not all of it but you know he owns a certain share but um it's you know it's that time probably everybody it's time to retire eventually although he never will probably he'll want to just keep making movies or something you know but uh, dark horse was good for creators all different kinds of creators and uh, i just should have taken advantage of it more but i was busy you know doing a lot of marvel stuff yeah yeah when you mentioned you um had a good bit of work in animation as well so i'm curious about kind of the connections that existed for you as far as the work between the way you went about thinking through animation and thinking through comics yeah i was actually a good storyboard artist for comic or for the commercials when we did animation i was one of the better i had a partnership of three guys one who just passed away recently which is sad he's one of my best friends you know and, and a musician as well uh, Don Wallace, and he was my colorist actually on a number of these prints that you know from history here, and some new ones. Uh, but uh, yeah, we had a partnership uh, called Top Light Studios, and it lasted about you know five years or so. And mm-hmm. you know, and over that time, I think that's when we did the bulk of it was TV commercials, so it was like you know thirty seconds back in those days, thirty seconds more than fifteen seconds you were doing them, and that takes you know six hundred frame it was like 720 frames or something like that so it might be 300 drawings between uh, the three of us and then we had an assistant so and we got to work with stan green who was one of the heavyweight uh directors from disney who retired and then moved to portland because his wife owned you know like a bank or something or whatever but he was great stan was super nice and uh he was somebody we you know was it was a good learning experience to have a director and he did a lot of the key animation for some of the commercials so we learned about that as well even though we were already doing our own stuff and you know understood it but it was just a new level of understanding when you got to work with them so that was that was cool but yeah uh, yeah yeah. so animation was fun i i just realized it it was a lot of work i mean the storyboarding was fun and that's comic books right Mm -hmm. but um, you know when you're doing a scene you split up a commercial and everybody takes a scene and and you decide who's best for which scene. Some people animate dialogue better than others. I did action pretty well. So, you know, it was it was fun to do, but boy, it's it's just very labor intensive. I mean, you know, you're sitting there doing hundreds of drawings. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. That would that's hard to imagine. Uh just yeah. as somebody that that tries to dabble in art every now and then, uh that's dedication for sure and and the practice of it yeah and if you could just get paid really well for it that would have been really great you know but (laughs) it was never we were always just struggling you know to survive and and it was we learned a lot and i think that was neat and i actually got to meet um during that five is actually more like about a seven-year period we we got to meet at least four of the original nine animators at disney the nine men yeah through different, you know, like one did a speech or a, a lecture series at Portland State that came up, uh, Mark Davis and uh, and then Ollie Johnson and Frank Thomas. Uh, they signed the book, the, the Illusion of Life. We all had those books, and 
uh, it was because the guy had one of the studios. His wife was related to Frank Thomas, I guess, in some way. Anyway, we bought a. We even were able to buy through him one of those um, process cameras that did cells. Oh, so wow, they're wow. they're old. I mean, it's like it's done with you know static electricity and and toner on acetate, and then the cells have to be individually done and put in vapor bonding chambers with okay. ammonia. <laughs> Doesn't sound too great, you know, but it's like. <laughs> We had that in, in the early days, and then eventually you just sent them off to have them done, you know, down a cartoon color or wherever it was. We sent them for Xeroxing, but um, it was all learning. It was a great learning process. Didn't make that much money, but, you know, it was like I was glad to get into comics because there were a whole lot more benefits in comics, you know. Yeah, yeah. Unless you got uh, your scientific process. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, it's, you know, the difference between animation and comics, the big deal is that, you know, Marvel especially made a big deal out of the artists, even the anchors. Mm -hmm. like I was an anchor most of the time. And so it was that your name was on the comic book. So if the comic book was popular, you got attention. If you're doing animation, nobody knows who did that commercial. You know, they'd have to go call and find out or look it up or something, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I get invited to comic cons is because people know my work. So it's good. Yeah, yeah, right there on the front of the issue, or at least in the masthead, there yeah. are the names, and everybody goes through that time where they realize, oh, that person is doing this. So, yeah, it was a positive, you know, and I realized that comics were one of those, at least at the time in the eighties, comics were going like this, you know, they were mm -hmm. just zooming up, and there was just tons of work, and people were coming into the industry, and um, it was as hard as you could work, you know, as much money as you could make, kind of thing, and. So it was great to have a job where, you know, you're rewarded for working hard and making your deadlines and that kind of thing. And uh, so many you know times you're working with ad agencies and, you know, with commercials and just not appreciated. I mean, they just mm -hmm. treat you like, you know, <laughs> so it was good. And Marvel was really good about paying on time. Uh, they just never missed. And, and I was able to do most of all of my work here in Portland, Oregon, uh, because of FedEx, which came in. I don't know, around 82 or something like that. And so being able to FedEx overnight, you know, pages would go back and forth between, you know, the letterer and the penciler and the writer and the, and then to the, the anchor. And, you know, I mean, they were flying all over the place and that made it so that I could have my studio here and I didn't have to move to New York where Chris did to establish himself as the penciler. It was harder it, to be a penciler. You really kind of needed to be there initially uh, I think to make the contacts, then you can move away. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys did, but and so everybody works from everywhere now. It's like nothing new, but you know, I was kind of back in, you think about it, it's like the remotely working remotely, you know, mm -hmm. I was doing it in 19, what was it? 88 or no, 86 <laughs> is when I, 80, you know, 85. That was when I first got the alien legion job. So yeah, my, my working at home started in 85. Wow. So, yeah. 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 From the long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I once had a studio <laughs> above Dark Horse offices uh, where I, I just wanted to get away from home and, and rent. And Mike was able to come up with a place there. And so I had a studio above and I could just go downstairs and hang out. You know, it was over their store and then the, the main offices so I could see what was going on. But um, that was cool, too. I mean, it was in Milwaukee. He bought up most all the buildings on Main Street and Milwaukee because Milwaukee was going under you know really and and I think Mike really helped you know now it's not I mean everything is gentrifying and but it uh 
I'm sure he got good deals on those buildings and, you know, used them for warehouses and for production. And at one time, I think they had over 110 employees, which was pretty good. Yeah. 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 Uh, curious these days um, about what has your creative attention. I think you mentioned there's jazz in, in the mix. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been playing guitar since high school and, you know, it's been my uh, second love or first, I mean, you know, drawing started earlier, like age four or something, but um, music, you know, came later and, uh, you know, I'm not great. I'm, I, I'm musical in that, you know, I can, I can hear, I have a good ear and, uh, you know, I can learn things. I took theory at Portland state, you know, music theory and mm -hmm. uh, for a couple of years and, and I, you know, tried to understand the workings of jazz. And then I took, you know, I, I played a lot of different styles of music. I played, you know, ragtime guitar and some, I did flat picking for fiddle tunes like bluegrass stuff and, and did some Chet Atkins style stuff. And then uh, even took classical lessons for a while and learned some Bach. And, and then, you know, when I discovered jazz and that was actually still in high school, uh, it was sort of like the final frontier. And, uh, and I fell in love with, you know, so many different artists. I think Wes Montgomery was the first jazz guitarist that I really thought was amazing. And of course there's a ton of other ones, Pat Metheny now, you know, I mean, even though he's at the end of his career, pretty much, I mean, he's still, I'm going to see him on Tuesday night. He'll be at the revolution hall here in uh, Portland. So, and, and he's, you know, 23 Grammy awards and, uh, and has pioneered so much in, in the field of jazz. And, and you can't, I don't know, his stuff is, it doesn't really have, it has its own genre, you know, it's sort of like, not just, it's this music. So, um, but yeah, I, I love playing and I've been playing and I even taught for a little bit and uh, I'd like to do more, um, you know, writing. I think I did about eight uh, arrangements of standards for solo guitar. And I bought a really nice guitar. It's a handmade guitar by a company here in Bend, a Breedlove. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a cutaway electric. So instead I was doing, working on my classical guitar, but I wanted a nylon sound, but an electric sound. So I have the full you know, length neck and the cutaway and the nylon string. So I get all of it and uh, it works for solo. It's really kind of nice, you know, yeah, otherwise yeah. it's, I've got a Gibson ES335 that, you know, it's uh, good for jazz, you know, the electric sound and stuff. So yeah. anyway, it's fun. And, and, and it's, I see that as just something I need to keep working on and develop. And my thing will be to sit in, there's at least three different jam sessions in, in Portland during the week, uh, usually that you can, you know, let them know and, you could sit in and that's about the extent, you know, of the, of what I can, unless, I don't know, it'd be great to have it be in a band, but I don't know where it's hard to get people together, you know, it really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just hearing as you're talking about this, the way composing is, is part of what you do across media and also the teaching across media, uh, teaching comics, teaching music. So that, that's definitely, it seems to be part of your, your suit of skills, if that's a way to say that. Yeah, I think it's part of your um, appreciation for the art forms. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, could, I couldn't live without music. So it's it's good to know it well enough to teach something. And, and, you know, and I'm not a great teacher, but I did spend time with another guitarist researching uh, a, a systematic approach to chord inversions that we thought would be helpful because there's a million, you know, uh, method books out there and, and a million ways to think about it and and the guitar really is a difficult instrument it's it's not like playing you know a linear instrument i mean like the piano is probably the the nicest layout for doing that and you can do the most and you know uh, 
granted fingerings are difficult with horns and stuff, but uh, they're just worried about, you know, single lines and, and not chords. Mm -hmm. So you've got both to deal with on the guitar. And anyway, it's, it's a great challenge. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a really cool thing to do. And same with, with comic books. I mean, I think storytelling is a great thing. Uh, the whole concept of sequential art is, you know, and that's why a lot of my friends are, they're still doing it. I mean, some of them do it because they need to make a living doing it and others do it because they just love to do it and they're still doing it. So it's cool. Yeah. It's something, yeah. I, I don't need to do it at this point. I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy doing outdoor things and working on music and then doing a lot of comic cons and I do commissions and sketches and, you know, I've still got my hand in doing lots of art. I, mean, I just got back from Phoenix where we did a signing uh, at a bookstore. And then we went hiking for uh, four days in Sedona. And nice. it was wonderful up in the Red Rocks, you know. And, and so it's good to mix that stuff, you know, mix and match it. And then we've got a show next week in Tacoma. It's called the Grit City Comic Con and Comic Show. And that's been there. I don't know. I've done that for at least 11 years. So it's close. You know, you just drive up and do it and come home. So. That'll yeah. be fun. You anticipated my final question, which was going to be uh, appearances and spaces where people can connect. So anything yeah. else that you'd like to mention there before we close yeah. out? For in Portland, uh, the next big show would be like the Fan Expo, yeah, Fan Expo for Portland. Mm -hmm. And they a couple of years ago, they offered to fly me around to a bunch of shows when they were doing that, you know, like I went to Denver and was going to do San Francisco and that didn't work out, but you know, I, I did several places with them and, but they come to Portland now, they bought up the wizard world shows. And so they, they have a, a better system and, uh, and I'll do the Portland show for sure. Uh, Cause it fills a, fills a nice niche in, in January and it's a yeah. three day show right here. And, you know, we used to do when we had all the camps and the classes, I used to um, send out an email to all, if I was doing five schools, you know, I'd send it to all the students that I'd been doing for the whole year. And any of the ones from the camps from the last years, I would send it out and go, I'm going to be at the Portland show, either like Rose City Comic Con's another big one in September. And that's homegrown. Fan, Fan Expo comes from out of town. But both of, you know, either one, whatever it would be. And any student that came got a free print. So anytime they came, you know, any show that they came to. And I still have students like the last show, I think at Rose City was, I think we had close to 30 students come and they're all, you know, they're in college, they're out of college, they're still in school, you know, middle school or something like that. So it's still a wide range of ages to cover that 13 years of teaching that we did. So that's awesome. kind of, fun. Yeah, yeah. My wife likes it. She, I should mention that she does the shows, the local ones in the Northwest that we can drive to. She does those shows with me. And if I go to Heroes Con and then I'll go by myself or go to, you know, uh, Terrific Con or any of those East Coast things, you know, uh -huh. so that'll be me. But otherwise, she's with me and working the tables and that always makes it fun. You know, it's like and, and she was part of that, those camps. So it's great to have kids come and remember. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned Heroes Con, so I hope to catch you there oh, at some okay. point. Are you in South Carolina? Uh, North Carolina. North, North, mm -hmm. That's what I meant, North. Yeah. yeah, Charlotte. Right. So, yeah, that was a very good show. It was the first time I'd been there all these years and never been there, so it's kind of weird. But um, that was really a good show. And I've done Terrific Con now about three years in a row So in Connecticut, so that's also a very well-attended, very good show. So Those are yeah. fun. When people are, you know, the shows that are into comics are the ones that I like. Mm -hmm. well, you know, 
the ones that are into movie stars and celebrities, <laughs> not so much, you know. They, uh, yeah, yeah. But you, you still do those. You still do those shows too. So it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I appreciate your time and glad to connect anytime. Glad to talk about your work and um, thank you so much for stopping yeah. in. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Thanks yeah. for the time. Absolutely. Um, I'll send the link back to you, video, audio, all the things, and you can give it the thumbs up and then I'll share it elsewhere. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. I'm glad we made our, our time. That's the only way to do it. The way you did it was contact me a month in advance or more <laughs> and then I can figure out, you know, when I'm going to be here. So it's good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, glad that we could work out the time and I'm glad to be in touch. All right. Well, hope to see you again. See you at one of the shows. Yeah. Yep. That would be great. It's a plan. Okay, Jason. All right. All right. Take care. Take care.